Hey there, Michelle Rado here with you today for Daring to Tell. We are talking about work and burnout. So here's a newsflash. I used to have a full-time job. This is no huge confession or anything, but I was a producer and then became the creative manager for a public radio station, and I worked there for a very long time. One day... During a big all-staff meeting, one of the former executives was talking about the gumption and energy and passion that we bring to our jobs. And I would say as a public media station, most of the people were there more for the mission of the work than for the money, myself included. So in trying to help reconnect us with our sense of mission for what we did there. He was describing this trajectory of energy and how when we first start working in a new job or a new position, we bring all this enthusiasm to it. But then naturally, after a period of time, maybe that begins to wane. And he was drawing this linear path from the bottom left to the upper middle of a graph or something and then kind of showed it leveling off in the hopes of suggesting, I think, that the staff reconnect with a little more enthusiasm or maybe that it was time to move on. But in showing this line going up and then leveling off, a friend of mine and colleague who I was sitting next to leaned over and whispered to me, I find it's more like a circle. Bingo! That was exactly my experience. So, indeed, after a promotion or a new project or some new opportunity, well, I found myself there after 29 years and 11 months, but who's counting, before I did decide it was really time for me to move on. So today we will hear from writer Hope Cook on the topic of burnout. Just to acknowledge in advance, Hope was the first of our writers who read an essay for me uh, for Daring to Tell, and that was back about eight months ago before she started blogging and producing her own podcast. So we updated the conversation part of this just recently, so that's why when we go into hearing her essay, you'll notice a change in the sound, just to let you know. It's terrifying to think of leaving a job, but isn't it more terrifying to think of the time you're wasting living a life of misery? Nothing's gonna make me brave. And nothing's gonna make me brave Nothing's gonna make me brave Except doing what makes me scared Nothing's gonna break my fall There's nothing in the protocol It's like swimming up a waterfall Or taking away the ground Hello, Hope. How are you? Hello. I'm great. Thanks for having me. I am very excited to talk with you today. Um, As I introduce you, I will say Hope is one of the 
five of us who were in our original Truth Tellers group and Nadine's Power. Uh, oh, I always blank on the name of it. Pa- Power Powerhouse Publicity. Publicity. Exactly. Lots of people. Yeah. So we've been hearing in this podcast so far, many of the folks from our group. And today, yeah. it's you. Yay. <laughs> so. <laughs> I'm very excited. So Hope, why don't you tell a little bit about yourself and all the stuff you're doing. You're doing so much. Okay. So I am a writer and I write nonfiction. A lot of it is how to get help with things like mothering and career burnout and just living life. So I try to be pretty honest about how hard things can be. And then I'm an optimist, so I usually give suggestions on how to make things a little better. I started a podcast called Recharting Your Life with Hope. And like Michelle said, my name is Hope. So (laughs) it works out very Um, well that way. Yeah, it does work out well. And I interview women who are listening to their soul's calling. And they may be a little farther along on the path than I am or than my listeners are. So I ask them questions and have them sort of tell me their stories. And I do all this during my free time. Right now, the kids are doing virtual school at home. So I'm hidden upstairs in the closet while they're downstairs learning. Yeah. The fact that you do so many things just impresses and amazes me all the time because you're also, do you want to talk about your, your day job on top of all that? Yeah. So my day job, I'm a dermatology physician assistant. It's very fast paced. Um, I recently cut back to three days a week. So that's been a a big relief because as you'll hear, um, one of the stories that I wrote is about my burnout and burnout can happen in any field, but in dermatology, we see patients every 10 minutes. So when I come home, I'm a little bit drained, but I found that doing things that excite me, like doing a podcast, that has just been energy giving. I've been listening to Hope's podcast a lot. I <laughs> love it. Um, not just because she also interviewed me, which was yes, lovely. That was, was very fun. But because you're such a great interviewer, you're really tuned into, I was going to say, you're really tuned into your patients. It's not your... Yeah. <laughs> your well, if you guests. interview people like 40 times a day, you kind of, you know, get into it after a while. Exactly. (laughs) When you told me that, I was like, oh, duh. Well, of course she's talking (laughs) with people. She's good at like getting to the point right away. And, and also I, I think that when we first formed our group way back in May, I can't believe we're coming up on maybe a year of all knowing each other, which is pretty impressive. I was coming off of having a day job and Uh in my role, I was our little team leader. I was the manager of a small group. And so I don't know if you remember this, you probably do, but I remember on our first meeting, I was like, I'll be in charge. (laughs) I literally raised my hand to do that because I was like, I like being the person who has to like corral everybody. But in our year of doing this, I will say hope has really like taking those reins she's like, so chatty all the time and you're like all right so what are we doing this week you really keep us on track. only because we have we have the free zoom version so we have yeah. like what is it 40 minutes 40 or minutes yeah. yeah but still so. you're so good at keeping us on track so I'm like taskmaster yeah if we haven't officially done a handover I'm like okay 
Oh. <laughs> Sorry. You're, you're the you're the leader now. Well, I want to thank you for chatting today. And one question, because you do do so much. Um, and I think as writers, everybody writes sort of a different way. And w- when you wrote this piece or when you do any of the writing you do as a, a mom, a a PA, a podcaster, how do you write? Like, how is it that you do your actual writing? I write early in the morning. You know, I get up at 4.30. And so I'd write, you know, within an hour of waking up. And I try to write as if no one will see it. Because you'll see when I wrote this, um, you know, I talk a lot about how my work life was and the parts I didn't like. And if I thought that people I work with would be reading it, I would filter it. So same thing with mothering, you know, mothering is hard. And if I thought my kids were going to read it, which they may, but, you know, I'm sure I would leave out certain details. And well, that's why I love it. I think I'm drawn to the stuff that is really brave. And I was wondering, we also connected early on because I also got up around 4.30. So we were yeah. both the super early morning people. Now I have been sleeping as I do not have a day job anymore. Sometimes I only get up at 5.30 or sometimes <laughs> I sleep as late as 6.30. But wow. I do appreciate that early morning writing time. I think that there is something to the mindset of waking up early and just where your brain is at that time of day. At yeah. least for me, I don't know. But I no, definitely. Sure. And I try yeah. to think about it. Like, what am I going through? It's tempting to edit things that I wrote the day before, the week before, but I've heard that it's more helpful if you set aside a separate time for editing and a separate, so your brain is not in editing mode, you're in writing mode instead. I think that does help because- yeah. You have to not be thinking about, as you say, who might read this. You have to uh-huh. just let yourself go. And I've had a little trouble with that, but I'm trying to get there. Yeah. As I think many people probably are. And that's sort of why I thought daring to tell is a good part yeah. of that. So tell me more about your burnout, not your burnout, but burnout in general. I feel like it's a passion. Is it a is, Well, it is, but it's one of those things, I guess, if you go through anything that's hard, you sort of become an expert on it without meaning to. So I felt burnout. I think I felt burnout when I was in internal medicine years ago, because I just couldn't um, see handling all the body systems. There was no complaint a patient could bring up that I could say, oh, I'm sorry, that's not my area of expertise. You know, you had to handle toenail fungus, you had to handle heart palpitations, everything. So I switched over to dermatology and that was about 12 years ago. And I loved it at first and I still love it in so many ways, but I don't know. Burnout is just where you no longer enjoy going to work. You feel a sense of dread. You just question why you're doing it. And so I think at the time it had a lot to do with where I was working when I first experienced burnout. And then later I experienced it again. And it was just the pace became insane when we had two providers out. Right. And we will certainly hear more about that. Mm -hmm. But maybe also tell me about what it is that you love about dermatology? Well, I love that dermatology is very tangible. You can touch it, you can feel it, you can see it. You're not 
listening for some faint heart sound or using a tiny little otoscope to peer at the eardrum and, oh, is it red? I don't know. You know, so you can, it's just right there in front of you. And I love that the appointments are so quick because you're just dealing with the skin. So I think I have a short attention span. So (laughs) (laughs) by looking at it, yep, that's blah, blah, blah. Here's the treatment. You know, it's very satisfying. And you can, you can, when in doubt, cut it out, as we say. That's great. I know. Well, it's, it is interesting, the different parts of the body and the things that we're drawn to and you know, how you eventually got into it was pretty cool and you worked hard to get there. So, yeah. And I think one of the things I love, you were saying, I'm passionate about burnout and I think it's not so much burnout as it is redirection. Um, You know, I love hearing stories of people who've pivoted and reinvented themselves or just pivoted and made new choices and did things differently because we can always change. And that's one of the things when you're in the midst of burnout, it feels like you're stuck. You're down in this pit of despair. So if you can come out the other side, it'll be just a beautiful, beautiful experience. Well, we will talk about your podcast a little more on the other side too, because that's sort of what your whole podcast is about. But why don't you right now, why don't you introduce your piece and anything you want to say to us about it before you read it? All right. So this piece is about two different episodes of burnout in my life. And as I said earlier, I felt very vulnerable when I wrote it because I was um, thinking, you know, what if, what if my boss reads this? What if my coworkers read this? You know, so I, I tried to be mindful of how I saw it from my perspective and not try to guess what they were thinking or why the pace was what it was, you know, tried to just tell my story and also give some tips on, you know, if you find yourself in a similar predicament. All right. Well, here we are with Hope Cook and her essay. Since becoming a physician assistant 18 years ago, I've experienced burnout twice so far. The first occurred in my seventh year in dermatology. I began dreading Sunday nights, feeling a heaviness in my stomach and a tightness in my neck and throat. At home, my temper would flare as I'd frantically over-prepare on the weekends with hours of laundry, food prep, and cleaning in an attempt to control something. And during the week, I started looking forward to dental appointments or any excuse to buy a few hours away from work. Migraines were common for me, but they ramped up to several per week. In hindsight, red flags were present from the beginning of this job, but I was blinded by my gratitude for landing a job during a recession. I'd heard for years that dermatology was the best field of medicine and that it was next to impossible to get hired with no previous dermatology experience. So, despite witnessing the firing of seven office managers and the turnover of 28 employees with a staff size of just 12, during my first few years, I remained loyal and grateful to be working in a field I enjoyed with the doctor who'd willingly trained me in this coveted position in dermatology. By the time I accepted that my supervising physician's quirkiness might be more of a full-blown mental illness, 
I'd already become attached to my patients and fallen in love with the specialty. Like someone in a bad marriage, I convinced myself it wasn't that bad. Sure, my doctor used cameras to monitor her staff when she wasn't there. And yes, she had frequent scathing online reviews about her bedside manner and wacky diagnoses, like all rashes were due to mites. But I thought I could single-handedly save things. I read all the personal development and team-building books I could, prompting me to create an employee survey to figure out a way to boost morale. As I read over the surveys, I discovered that all my coworkers had answered two questions the same. The thing everyone loved about the job was having Friday afternoons off. The thing they all wanted to change was the doctor herself, who unfortunately owned the practice. During my last year there, my doctor hired another physician assistant. Like having a baby to fix a broken relationship, I was hopeful that having another medical provider would help balance things out. From the beginning, however, the doctor was demeaning and hateful towards the new PA, often belittling her in front of patients. Watching this interaction was like looking in a mirror, knowing I'd been putting up with the same treatment for years. In hindsight, my burnout had probably been going on for several years. But I'd felt trapped by this non-compete contract I'd signed, which stipulated I couldn't work in dermatology for two years within a 20-mile radius once I'd left this practice. The situation felt hopeless. I wrote in my journal that my only options were to A, move to another town, B, leave dermatology and switch fields of medicine, C, be a stay-at-home mom for two years, or D, stay miserably stuck. I became angry and depressed, blaming my unhappiness on the doctor, the assistants who wouldn't help me, the patient load, and the unfair compensation. I justified staying stuck with the excuse that we had two little kids, a house payment, daycare fees, and no other clear alternatives. I finally started seeing a therapist. She validated my feelings but helped me see a larger view of the situation and empowered me to take control of my life. I realized if my daughter were in a similar situation one day, I would insist she quit. Within days of this realization, a physician assistant friend at another dermatology office approached me and asked if I was ready to leave my job yet. My doctor's reputation was known throughout town. I explained I was more than ready to leave, but I wasn't sure how to handle the non-compete. She simply said, we have satellite offices outside of your non-compete area. I turned in my notice a few weeks later and felt the most powerful and brave I've ever felt in my entire life. Fast forward three years. My new and current job felt like an answered prayer. I gladly drove back and forth to a satellite office for the first two years to avoid violating my non-compete contract. I even ended up with a three-day schedule making more than I was at my old job working four days a week. This was and is the most efficient place I've ever worked. The medical assistants are the cream of the crop. The schedule is predictable and organized, and my supervising physician is the nicest guy you'll ever meet. That's why it shocked me when I got slapped by a wave of burnout again last year. 
It happened after I transitioned from working three days at our slower paced satellite office to our huge main office, where my schedule was now a blank canvas for new patients, rashes, and urgent work-in referrals from other doctors. I was already feeling a little overwhelmed when two of the PAs announced they were both pregnant. But not to worry, if everything went as scheduled, their maternity leaves wouldn't overlap. Unfortunately, one PA got put on bed rest months before her due date, so we were down by two providers during our busiest months. All of us providers were happy to help out, but our schedules kept getting busier and busier each week. Pretty soon, it wasn't unusual to see 50 patients a day. Even with two competent medical assistants, the pace was insane. Spending seven minutes with a patient did not feel like quality care. Throw in my kids' summer camp schedules and a husband who was working full-time and getting his PhD, and the recipe for burnout was, in hindsight, inevitable. During this time, my husband and I met with our financial consultant. He spread out the graphs and documents on his big desk, turned to me, and casually said, Okay, Hope, I ran your numbers, and if you retire in 20 years, you should be pretty set. I didn't listen to anything after that. The words 20 years kept playing over and over in my head. 20 years. 20 years. I felt my heart begin to race and my eyes spill over with tears. My husband shot me a worried glance. We finished the meeting and made it to the elevator before I started bawling. I can't work like this for another 20 years. I don't know if I can last another six months. Until that moment, I hadn't even realized I was experiencing burnout again. My dread of work returned, as did my migraines, which I've come to see as my barometer for my stress level. My husband reassured me the situation would get better once my two coworkers returned. But every day I felt more burned out. One day, my office manager casually inquired how I was doing. Remembering my first burnout and my vow not to let it get that bad again, I ended up breaking down in front of him. I told him this pace was killing my desire to see and treat patients. I confessed I felt like I'd gone from providing A-plus patient care to B-minus care, and I didn't give a hoot. I was flying through my notes in order to get the heck out of there and didn't have time to look things up and research conditions and treatments like I'd always done. I barely had time to go to the bathroom or eat lunch. I weepily told him I was burned out. To his credit, he listened. He took my concerns seriously and passed the information to my supervising physician. They couldn't slow the schedule down right away, but they began to block out places when patients canceled. This helped, and they talked to each of us about what we wanted our schedules to look like in the coming months. My boss also made it a point to meet with each of us providers periodically to address our concerns and ask how we were doing. None of this would have happened if I hadn't had the courage to speak up. Burnout doesn't have to look like my first story with a crazy office situation. It can happen even with a great job and amazing coworkers. I found that it was harder to admit burnout when everything looked perfect on paper. I told myself I should be happy and became convinced something was wrong with me. 
I felt guilty for my feelings and ashamed that I couldn't hang with a busy schedule when everyone else seemed to be managing okay. It was also hard to complain about the number of patients I was seeing since I was making a lot of money every month. The more patients I saw, the more I got paid. I would like to swear that I'll never let burnout happen again, but burnout isn't always predictable. If you're dreading work, noticing more physical symptoms of distress, like pain, not sleeping, fatigue, headaches, or if you no longer find joy in your career, don't ignore the signs. Get clear with yourself about whether the situation can be improved. Ask yourself the magic wand question. If I had a magic wand and could change things about this job, would I still feel this way? Maybe you have more influence in the situation than you realize. If the magic wand things you listed are next to impossible to change, then you have to be honest with yourself and muster up the courage to look for another job. It's terrifying to think of leaving a job, but isn't it more terrifying to think of the time you're wasting living a life of misery? If it seems plausible that your magic wand wishes might change, talk to management or maybe even apply for a supervisory role yourself to create the changes you desire. A good boss or employer won't let you stay burned out. They'll want to keep you and will be willing to make changes. If they won't, then take that as your sign. It's also a great idea to see a therapist. Talking to your coworkers will only get you so far. It can backfire into creating a cesspool of negativity. Likewise, it's not fair to vent to your family all the time about how awful you feel. Life is too short not to do these things. We spend a third of our waking hours at work. It's worth investing the time and energy to make them enjoyable and to live the best possible version of your life. It might not be quick or easy, but you'll look back from your burnout and know it was worth every sleepless night, every uncomfortable conversation, and every moment of fear. I love this essay so much. As you said, you are so positive, and I'm going to embarrass you a little bit now by <laughs> going on about it, but there's, there's just so many good things in here. You have such a positive attitude, and I think is one of your themes that you go back to, I hear a lot, is this theme of being stuck. And I can tell you know what it feels like to feel stuck. And you are just so determined not to be stuck. So yeah. I, that, I don't know. I just love it. I, I love the fact that you did a survey in your first yeah. job <laughs> when you were there. So, but before I gush about you, too much more. Maybe <laughs> just tell me first, what was the scariest part about this? Like what was toughest about writing this essay and maybe reading it too? It was, part of it was hard um, imagining again when I talked to my first boss and told her I was leaving. I mean, it's, it's almost like going through a divorce. Um, and it was quite traumatizing how it was handled. So I can still, I mean, my heart rate picks up a few notches when I think about, you know, saying, can I talk to you? And 
<laughs> I mean, it, it just, oh, I can feel it. My throat kind of tighten up. I got um, a chill when you said that. Because yeah, it did not go very well. Um, oh. So, but that's also a sign, you know, that it's, you know, it was meant to be. Yeah. And that it was, you, you did the tough thing that you had to do and that you were so brave to write about it after too, because I know that's the hard part to sort of have the, let's stand up for ourselves in this. Uh-huh. And I feel like you had that in a few different instances too. So I think when you listen to what your heart has been trying to tell you, then you do feel so light and you just feel a glow with <laughs> doing the right thing. Like you just know it down to your core. Yeah. So your podcast is called Recharting Your Life with Hope, which yeah. is perfect. And you are totally, totally on fire with all your episodes, with your interviews. And you speak with so many people who are really inspirational about doing something different and um, I'm getting off your piece a little bit at this point, but there's a commonality in the hope that I see in this piece Mm -hmm. and what you are constantly probing with the people that you talk to. So if I can turn the table for a second and said, Hey, hope, how are you recharting? I know you take inspiration from the many people you talk to and what, Mm -hmm. what is it that you want to do? Yeah. So it's funny when I'm interviewing, I don't always think about it while I'm interviewing, but when I'm listening to it play back, I feel like I'm getting my own therapy. Even if it's me talking, I don't even recognize myself sometimes. And I'm thinking, yes, she's right. I do need to. (laughs) That's great. I love that. We talk about giving ourselves messages and like the fact that you're doing it turn around immediately is so good. And we teach what we need. So I need all of this. So when I'm hearing an inspiring story, it's motivating me to follow my curiosity and take a little baby step and all the things that I talk about um, in recharting or remapping out your life. And I think when I was in the depths of despair with burnout That was one thing that gave me hope was knowing that I could write the next chapter. You know, if I didn't like how the plot was going, I'm the main character. I can just rewrite it and decide that, nope, she is not going down. (laughs) She's going to she's going to change her setting, change the scene. Right. And you did. What was the 20 years part of this, too? Because that is one of my favorite moments when you had your 20 years. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We we haven't been back to that financial <laughs> consultant, but that was a... Oh, that's funny, actually, in itself. Yeah, that was a moment where it was supposed to be just a routine thing, looking at papers and deciding about investments and retirement. And so he just casually said, all right, Hope, I've got your papers here. 20 more years with your income, you should be pretty set. And I just gulp. (laughs) I could not imagine. And I didn't know until that moment that I felt that way, but it just stuck in my, you know, head somewhere like 20 years, 20 years. Is he crazy? 20 years. Right. As someone who I have moved on from my day job, as I've mentioned a few times. Yeah. And thinking about that financial setting, it's funny because when you fill out 
forms for your retirement withholding, those Mm -hmm. kind of things. You think about when am I going to retire? And I, I always thought I'm not going to retire. I I never, I don't want to retire, but sometimes that gets pushed up against this whole, like, I can't keep doing what I'm doing for 20 more years. Uh Is there a thing that you can see yourself doing in 20 years? What's the 20 year plan? I think I will always do some type of healing. So it may be dermatology. It may be I'm studying functional medicine, which is more a more integrative approach to um, health. I may be doing some kind of coaching, but I think I'll always do some kind of healing and some kind of motivational work. I think I'll always write. And my husband, when we had a conversation later and he was like, well, I hope I don't know if we can afford for you to just like stay home and and not earn money for the next 20 years. And I said, I don't plan on, you know, I'm going to reinvent myself 10 more times, but I'll I'll be earning money because I'm doing what I love. And I think if you're doing that, the money will come. And I he's think- he's very much a numbers spreadsheet kind of man. So he's like, what? You mean the money will come? What? Where's the spreadsheet for that? <laughs> Well, we we need both sides of that equation in our lives, the, yeah. the, the hope part and the numbers part. That certainly is important. But that's another thing that I've observed in you over time. And even just hearing you saying you're always going to be doing some kind of helping thing. What is that inclination for you? Um, I have looked into this with like Enneagrams and my love language and my strength finder and (laughs) all the things. Some of it is that I love, um, I I get some of my self-worth from helping other people. So I I don't know, that may or may not be healthy, but I also love uh, words of affirmation. So helping other people. Um, I'm an Enneagram too. I think, I think that's a helper. So that's just how I was made. I always loved waiting on people in my family when they were sick or. <laughs> That's funny. That's great. I, I love that so much. And I was actually looking at your blog a few moments before we uh-huh. talked. And one of the things that stuck out to me there too was, let me, oh yeah. Figure out what your strengths are. As humans, we're wired to be happiest when we're doing what we're best at. And that Mm -hmm. is to me huge. I think that that's a really crucial thing to tap into in ourselves. Like what is that thing that makes me happy? And if you can figure that out, it's that constant realignment. Mm -hmm. What am I going towards and what am I getting from it? And what am I giving to? I guess the giving is part of that. Yeah. And that can play a role in burnout. If you're at your job and you're not using your strengths, then you may not find as much joy. And that happened to me because I used to take students all the time and I love teaching. That's one of my strengths. And we just somehow got into this fast pace, can't have students. And especially right now with COVID, we don't have students. And so I miss that. I miss teaching. So yeah, I had to find a way to do that through, you know, yoga. So I teach yoga or other things. That's great. And speaking again, maybe to follow up about the burnout yeah. and COVID, how, how is your job these days amidst all of that? 
we're having just as many patients who want to come in despite COVID, but it's more exhausting for us, well, for the nurses who have to clean the rooms in between every patient. And it's more exhausting to wear a mask and patients can't see your expression. So (laughs) you, you wiggle your eyebrows more, you get your voice all, you know, different right tones to try to express what you're feeling and right use your hands more yeah that sounds especially challenging to do um the idea of seeing someone every 10 minutes is quite exhausting to me i think when we talk about what our strengths are i'm i'm very much a one on one i also did a little class on the enneagram recently cuz i was yeah. I was trying to figure myself out too. I feel like I'm always trying to figure myself out. So yeah, I was curious what your number was. I have to go back. (laughs) Two, is that driven by your head more or your heart? I would guess heart, but it's, I think it's called the helper. Okay. Yeah. I believe that mine is a nine. I can't remember what the name of that one was. Kimberly, who was just on my podcast, talks about that a little bit. She's a nine. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I do know that when in all the descriptions of the Enneagram, there's a talking style for each one. Yeah. The talking style for nine is saga. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So, I feel like that's me because I just get derailed on things yeah. all the time and all of my offshoot conversation. I can't even think now as I try and describe my own talking style, but I put a newsletter out every week and I feel like my newsletter is pretty much nothing but saga. So I just let let myself go. Yeah. It feels like you're talking to us there. Oh, that's good. And, and to that point, I guess to maybe bring it back to writing a little bit as we wrap up, but to find the kind of style with our writing and with our communication that we're able to just let ourselves go, let it flow. And I can see definitely how teaching, helping, you draw things out of people and it's lovely. It's yeah. lovely. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Anything else? What? Oh, do you want to tell folks about your podcast, about you have a yeah. newsletter, you have a website? Yeah, y'all can sign up for my newsletter. I'm in the process of revamping it, but go to the website, hopethepa.com, and you can listen on your favorite podcast platform to Recharting Your Life with Hope. Check it out. Yeah. It's, just, it's very good. I love and it. And subscribe to this podcast too. Absolutely. And write a review. <laughs> write a review. All right. Well, thank you so much for our conversation today. Thanks, Michelle. Well, thank you, Hope. I, I she hope is just so positive. And she really is someone who loves teaching. That's one thing I cannot relate to at all. But we all do our own things, right? So her podcast, again, is called Recharting Your Life with Hope. I will put a link to it and to her blog in our show notes. If you have any thoughts about her story or want to share a question with me, you can always send an email to me. I am Michelle with two L's at michellerado.com. Michelle at michellerado.com. 
Next week, we're going to talk with another medical professional, Frank Heiler. He is an ER doctor in New Mexico. He's going to read a chapter from his new book that's described as a dispatch from the trenches about the more human aspect of working in a trauma center ER. We spend too much time talking about sort of the delicacy of human beings, how vulnerable we all are and how vulnerable people are to traumas and so on, and perhaps not enough talking about their resilience. His book is called White Hot Light, 25 Years in Emergency Medicine. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss that story. Daring to Tell arrives on Thursdays. If you've been enjoying this podcast, I hope you might share it with another writer in your life or writing group or even write a review yourself in order to help other folks discover it too. Thank you so much for listening. And nothing's gonna break my fall. There's nothing in the protocol It's like swimming up waterfall Or taking away the ground Taking away the ground It's like taking away the ground 20 years 20 years